Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. And I am thrilled to be joined once again by leading extractives, natural resources and renewables legal expert, Warren Beach of Beach Veltman Incorporated. Warren, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back. And today I'm going to be picking your expert brain on all matters ESG. Um, So firstly, a very big welcome. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure to talk to you and particularly on aspects that are trending like ESG. It's always a pleasure to do that. And trending, it certainly is. Uh, You know, the last three years at the General Counsel Forum, which Africa Legal uh, uh, co-runs at the mining in Daba, I was having a chat with some of my GC advisory board the other day, and we're really seeing this evolution. Year one was kind of, what is ESG? Year two was, how do I know which bits are important and which bits I can leave? And then year three was going, okay, specifically, what is the fallout or negative connotations of not engaging with this? So we're really seeing an evolution of how these uh, mining and natural resources companies are having to grapple with this. But I want to start with a question which relates to the investment landscape, because that's where a lot of this ESG agenda was, was certainly driven at the start. And historically, I think it's fair to say that investment in the natural resources and mining sectors in Africa in particular, it was looking at good financial returns within a time frame, very little regard to the impact or potential impact on a environmental, social, uh, you know, governance or community uh, standpoint. And that has transformed. You know, we're really seeing a, a tide change in how vital the ESG impact is in even these investments being considered. So I won't go, paint me a picture, Warren. What are, what's happening in the investment space when it comes to ESG being a key component of the decision-making process? Tom, you're 100% correct. So historically, mining and natural resources, the investment decisions were were based essentially on uh, the return on investment and, and what that would be over the long term. The consequences or the impacts were of lesser concern, and it's it's a sad reality, but that that is the, or that was the investment climate, and also the ability of the investors through their relationships with government and other stakeholders to to control the investment environment. That For obviously sure. changed, and that started changing with the socially responsible investing principles, and where most investor or many investors on on the SRI side moved away from investments which they regarded as toxic. And there have been uh-huh. a couple of good examples of that, the tobacco industry and any industries which were child labor intensive or or modern slavery. And SRI said essentially move away from companies which, which don't tick those boxes. But that was obviously very one-dimensional. Um, that's the first thing that only looked at whether it was socially responsible to invest in that company. Yep. And it wasn't positive. It didn't reward companies that were doing the right thing and, and looking good. And as a result of that, ESG then developed from socially responsible investing, corporate social responsibility. And very importantly, it was 
motivated by the one regulatory environment as regulations changed and stakeholders changed and particularly the environmental stakeholders. But it also changed on uh, as a result of a reality. And the reality was that many mining investors went into an area thought that they could control the environment. And when I talk about the environment, I'm talking about government, I'm talking about traditional leadership, and I'm talking about communities. And the very real, in many cases, the very real thing that, that hit the investors very quickly was the ability of the community to affect that mine, either to stop it from starting or to disrupt it once it had started by simply practically and physically controlling access to and from the mine. So the whole shift towards the social license to, sorry, the the social license to mine. I mean that became very very important, and that developed into into ESG as we know it today. So okay. I mean that's that's the point of saying look a, a government issued piece of paper is not worth the paper it's written on if you've got a disengaged community who can literally just barricade the doors to the mine Absolutely and that and that's what a lot of the and particularly the international investors in South Africa who didn't and Africa who may not have understood the landscape thought because they got the mining right or the prospecting right and all of their licenses they could simply walk in and mine and and the communities that weren't in support of that said no and you know you put rocks in the road and how do you get to the mine it was as simple as that and then after that obviously the demands came for the mines to provide roads electricity water and services but it came from a a a practical ability to put road uh, put rocks in the road uh, and how i'll pick your brain on something how how quickly did the positive esg approach manifest in the face of community resistance like in your experience was there a knee-jerk you know a police for want of a better word response are you right how do we limit control put up bigger walls you know moats and trenches did 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 companies in your experience even try and go down that road or was the obvious power in true community engagement and partnership, just too obvious to even try and go down that road. Mm. Tom, unfortunately, a lot of the the mining companies and the investors didn't accept the reality or, or accept the power of the community to intervene. And a number of the mining companies went down that route of bigger walls, more security, right, right. barbed wire fences, and sometimes with or without the support of government. And 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 provided some really great case studies on how not to do it. So even if it was, I think, negative in the short term, at least we had something to point to and go, no, we're being serious. This is is not working. No, absolutely. And and they were very good case studies because they simply didn't get mining. And once they started mining and were disrupted for many months and possibly years, in some cases, they didn't mine. Whereas the other mining companies that, that saw the reality, either because it was a reality or because it was the right thing to do, started acknowledging the importance of the community, acknowledging yeah. the importance of traditional leadership and getting that social license to mine. So that took quite a while. And you can't, you, you know, your initial question to me, what was the timeline? Unfortunately, Unfortunately, that played out over a fairly long period, again, because of political landscapes, political parties, perceived power. But the ESG transition has been very quick. So yep, that yep. happened extremely quick. The, the, the 
social license to mine concept took quite a long time, a long time to 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 bite. But the ESG went very very quickly once once the concept was born and popularized. It went very very quickly. And I feel like the the positive case studies that have come out of a true embracing of especially the S, the societal in the ESG. And it's, um, you know, places like Ivanhoe Mines spring to mind with, um, I think, our friend Jasmine Abrahams. And they they truly engaged on a community level all the way down to things like career hubs. And they've actually, you know, managed to have a community engagement process that doesn't only pacify, but it adds value in that a lot of their recruitment is being done from the local communities as well. So it's not just a shield in the most positive way. It can be a really efficient sword as well. Absolutely. If if it's embraced and done properly, it has long-term benefits across the spectrum. So the social labor plans, which the mines need to in, in, to implement, have that as a framework. But even if you don't look at your social labor plan and you put in place an ESG program, it has long-term mm. effects and as you correctly pointed out, if you started in the right way and in the right uh, process and of engagement, you get the community involvement, and then that plays out into development and building of schools, roads, etc. Very, clear, what is very clear, and particularly with the community demands, what is very clear at the moment is that even if the community initially approves the mine being there, if the mine does not engage with that community on an ongoing basis. If the mine wants to, for example, build a school and the community doesn't like the contractor that is building the school, that school is not going to be built. And then yeah. the whole project stumbles again. So it's a, it's a continuous work in progress. And as personnel change both at the mine and in the community, there has to be a review and a resetting possibly of the program because any attempt to unilaterally implement training, recruitment, structures, infrastructure, um, it can all come apart very quickly unless there's that continuous work at that relationship. It's, it's a real kind of cardiovascular health situation. You don't just get to run for one year and then sit on the couch for the rest of your life. If you want to maintain the benefits, you got to put in the work, but you know, by God, the benefits are there to be had. I, yes. Warren, I want to pull us over into the the growth landscape so investment is ongoing into the natural resources in particular the renewable space in africa how has esg uh, you know the the agenda impacted the pursuit of growth opportunities or realization of growth opportunities for investors and there's something in particular i'm keen to zero in here is esg and zambia and Zambia's new uh, president, Hichalema, brings to mind here, is ESG already being embraced as a big, pretty flag to be waved by certain African jurisdictions when it comes to their adherence to it, their belief in it, and their uh, support of it? And is that actually yielding results in directing investment into these jurisdictions i has it become a a honeypot in the best way possible mm. tom it's obviously an interesting question because there are a number of dynamics around that but yes the esg flag is or has become a a 
calling point for investors and mm-hmm. any companies that raise this ESG flag, I think it's a, it's a good analogy, tend to to receive better investment or, or better uh, positive commentary and narratives around the investment. But there are a couple of challenges. One, ESG is not that clear. It's not a it's not a data set that you can go no. and tick box. There's no there's no scorecard, and it's it's often very difficult to compare apples with apples. Now, Warren, uh, as much as those r- ranking agencies want to convince us it's a scorecard, um, the ones that try and charge an arm and a leg, uh, <laughs> we <laughs> we we definitely don't feel that way. No, absolutely. So it's not a scorecard approach, and it is still largely dependent on on the the auditing teams and and the people within those teams that interpret what ESG looks like and what good looks like under ESG so that remains a quite a, a big challenge and then unfortunately the ESG flag which is used then to attract investment sometimes results in decisions which are not good and what i mean by that is if a company is not necessarily meeting the criteria, the ESG criteria, then it gets a, ne- a negative investment perception or, or a narrative around that company. And sometimes those companies are doing very good work. And sometimes those companies are contributing and will contribute significantly to growth, transformation, development, infrastructure, etc. And they're missing out. So mm. it, it is a challenge. And I think that we need to move more to a nuanced ESG approach. And from a country point of view, and I, I like the fact that you mentioned Zambia. So the, the, the G part, the governance part is, is quite important because quite often, although it's not less important than, than, than the E and the S component, it's sometimes left behind and that's a concern. But for me, it's an sure. opportunity for a nuanced approach where governance, those countries which stamp out corruption, that implement transparent systems and then make it easy to invest – on the government side, the G side, are seeing better investment like Zampia. And I think that, that that is an element that needs to be emphasized going forward. A nuanced approach, look at look at a country level, particularly on the governance side, and then look at the E and the S sides with, with the particular companies that want to invest so that you can take a nuanced and a more holistic decision. And some companies that would not on the ESG flag in, uh, attract investment, but could on a more holistic approach attract investment and, and contribute. So it's it's a challenge both on what it means, what does ESG mean, and how does it impact on decisions. And I think it impacts, unfortunately, poorly on some investment decisions in relation to companies which could be doing a lot better. For sure. I think, you know, the, the point you make on the governance is a really important one because it, it, it it's not as um, sexy per se as the, uh, you know, other components of the, you know, the E and the S, but it's really foundational in that, a lot of what you can do at a societal or environmental level is going to be dependent upon a bedrock of decent governance, decent laws, adherence to the rule of law, and so on. And I think maybe one of the reasons that you know isn't as as talked about is the fact that a lot of that does sit in the hands of the government, which is hosting the you know the mineral wealth and where this is actually going to be extracted and it feels a little bit out of reach to have direct and 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 uh, you know impactful engagement with but it it really is foundational on the on the nuanced approach this is something that's been raised again I'll reference back to the GC forum in Daba it seems to be that when there are issues that require 
multiple stakeholders within a corporation. And think about the E, the S and the G. This is risk, compliance, legal, health and safety, community engagement, IT. Every single department has a role to play. That's when things get difficult and there isn't a, oh, if you want to know about a company's you know, financial health, oh, you talk to the, the financial team, the accountants. If you want to know about the strictly legal uh, you know, health, talk to the general counsel. But ESG, God, you could talk to every single department in, in, in a business and you'd still, they'd still have something relevant to say. So how, I'm interested, who do you feel are the true gatekeepers or, or, or treasurers of a company's ESG agenda? Even though every department has a potential influence, where to your mind does it most strongly crystallize? Tom, for me, it's always the head and the question, who is the head? So the, the the face and the voice and the narrative is always the chief executive officer. So for mm. me, it is you need to listen to the CEO, supported by his or her board members and the role players, including the head of sustainability, the head of legal, uh, head of risk, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, the CEO sets the tone. And if yeah. that tone is not correct and it is not supported by the, the heads of department and the board members, then you it's difficult to understand what a company's ESG commitment is. As you say, if you speak to various departments, they'll give you different views. And understandably, it's a it's a it's a biased perspective. If if I'm giving legal advice, my bias is naturally going to be a legal bias. And same with anybody within within an organization. So I like the the when you look at companies, I like the fact that the CEO can stand up and properly talk about about ESG and and there were some very very good examples of that and that for me is the starting point that is the gatekeeper not the head of sustainability or the head of yeah. legal or, or health and safety and that that for me is, is is where the gatekeeper should be for something as important as ESG yeah and i think that does make sense something that is so multi stakeholder and important it does need to go right to the top and i must say you know when you look at the mining companies annual reports and their their uh, investor relations papers. I, I tell you what, that ESG chapter it, it keeps on moving earlier in the uh, in the um, uh, bibliography, doesn't it? It does. And and if you look at all of the the reports for the last year, particularly and, and maybe into into the previous year as well. Yes, you're right. The ESG is becoming the executive summary on the ESG is becoming quite substantial, and then the ESG component is taking up a good 30, 40% of the total report. You get production reports and health and safety almost stuck in the middle of those reports with the mm -hmm. ESG focus being incredibly strong nowadays. And talking about the ESG agenda being incredibly strong and it taking a lot of, you know, a lot of ink up in these reports and a lot of, uh, you know, vocal cord strain at the events that you and I both go to. Look, one of the questions that I've got here is ESG is trending globally, including in South Africa. Is this a good thing? Now, I think you and I could definitely, an easy answer would be yes, but I'm I'm keen to kind of poke this question a bit more. And is ESG at risk of being talked to death? E.g., it's appearing everywhere. It's a buzzword. It's being talked about. It's being thrown around. Is there a threat that this becomes just another, you know, 
buzzword and it loses its actual importance and relevance. And if that is a risk, what can be done to to counteract that? Tom, I fully agree with you. The short answer is yes. Um, ESG is critical. It's it's important for for the health of the business and its health for the sustainable future of of any business. But you're quite correct, and I think there's there's already a move. If you look at adverts, um, service providers are popping up left, right, and center. Everybody's offering ESG services in some form or another. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, know, I think I've seen everyone from uh, uh, sofa salespeople to car manufacturers, and I'm just like this 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 is getting silly now. No, it is, and that's the risk here. It's the biggest risk of, of ESG or, or compliance with the ESG principles is that everybody is now trying to get on board because it is a trend. Mm. And like all trends, it's got good people with it and people who who, who want to make a quick buck. So it is important um, to recognize that that is a risk of, of ESG. So to cut through all of the noise um, companies, I think, need to to focus and and go back to basics on ESG and really look at at the principles of what they're doing environmentally. And unfortunately, you would have read about the Oxfontein tailing storage facility yeah. and, and dam failure that happened. Now, again, when Brazil happened, it became tailing storage facilities became a big issue. Um, the all of the, the the governing bodies, the mining global governing bodies, you know, immediately challenged that, got on board. And, and looked at ways of, of improving safety on tailings facilities. And now our, our situation here on Sunday is going to bring that back into the spotlight. But again, if you look at the basics of environmental, it's compliance, compliance, compliance. And when you get through the noise of ESG, you look at environmental compliance. If you look at the social side, again, the focus is on the social license, making sure that there is a strong focus on that and a reality check. And, and we did cover this a little bit earlier, but the reality check is the community demands within South Africa are growing at a rapid rate. And the communities in and around the mines are growing in numbers and their demands are growing. They're expecting yeah. to benefit from the mines in the areas. They're closing mines. They are shutting mines. They're preventing mines from operating in support of demands for jobs and contracts and work and things like that. So it's about going back to basics and really reporting on on those elements from my perspective that I think we need to focus on. And not all the noise around ESG and not service providers puffing it up and saying, you know, making that ESG flag, as you refer to it, even bigger and bigger. So it is a risk. And I think we need to just go back to basics, look at the three components and report on those in a comprehensible way and show compliance in a comprehensible way. Yeah, I think you're absolutely on the mark there because it's seeing the words ESG or sustainable slapped on an advert is almost the antithesis of how we want to see this approach. I think it's about those that are truly embracing it and benefiting it, being careful in how they talk about it. And when they showcase the wins that they're seeing on the back of a true engagement with ESG, they're detailed about it, they're concrete about it, they're tangible about it, i.e., this this was a aim of us in our ESG agenda. Here's what it's specifically set out to do on a community, on a societal, on a governance and an environmental level. Here's what we did. It's almost pulling us away from the acronym for want of a better expression and actually making sure that every time we talk about it, there's meat on the bone. You don't just shout, we're really excellent at ESG. 
Like that, that's an empty, ridiculous and hollow statement. I think it's about making sure there's substance to what we're saying every time we try and say we are very much driven by ESG. Does that resonate? Completely. And that makes complete sense. And it's what anybody who's successfully implementing ESG is following that approach at the moment. As soon as you try and cloud ESG, as you say, as an acronym, um, it, it it hides the truth. Mm. And, uh, you know, at some point in time, companies are going to be found out if they're hiding behind the ESG flag and, and you know, without that level of detail. And, and there's stakeholders out there that are looking at, at companies' ESG reports very, very carefully to look at the compliance at, at a detailed level. And those companies will be found out in due course. It sounds good at the moment, um, but in due course, they'll be found out. Well, let's drop. Let's let's give ourselves the excuse to drop another buzzword in. We'll throw greenwashing out there, Warren. We won't we won't go into too much detail, but I think the expression greenwashing is certainly gaining a bit of traction at the moment. Yes, no, absolutely, and, and not in a good way. Obviously, not it's at used, all. It's used critically and justifiably so in some cases where where that has been that accusation has been made against companies because they simply the the detail doesn't support. Um, the ESG banner, or or the you know the the transitional banner, and the detail will will catch them out. Absolutely. And Warren, I'm going to segue into a final question here, which uh, as a, as a as a Brit by birth, talking with a South African, you and I will, you know, the tears may well flow, but we will get through it. Let's talk about the energy crisis. Uh, we we are certainly both being impacted. But I'm interested, personal bravery of this ridiculous situation aside how how is this energy crisis impacting esg compliance and a broader commitment to the energy transition and a green economy are this is our testing ground isn't it this is the proving ground for where a company's statements around sustainability green energy renewables really really comes under the the limelight are you seeing people sticking to their sustainable and renewable guns or is the temptation to revert back to dirtier but cheaper alternatives just just too strong in the face of some of the pricing that we're seeing for example tom again very controversial subject but my views are (laughs) in law we have a wonderful saying you can't complain only once the shoe starts to pinch Mm-hmm. And the the energy crisis has caused the shoe to pinch, and that obviously re- it it gets people to point to to rethink their commitment to to green to the uh, greening of the economy to the transition. The reality is we need energy. The reality is that the energy must be available and it must be cost efficient and and, and cost effective. So yes, it does change people's perception. It changes people's timeline and that's probably the biggest change we've seen is the commitment might be a 2030 or a 2050 um, and those not, are, are now being pushed out a little bit because the reality is that for example coal-fired power stations in South Africa and, and our coal is going to Europe at the moment that that is dirty energy it's regarded as dirty energy but the reality is that's going to be around for quite a long time in South Africa uh-huh. as we transition and the reality is that Europe is now taking our coal because they need it. So it, it, it results in a, in a, again, nuance, and I've used this word a few times, but people's view and commitments become nuanced 
when the reality hits. And here the shoe is pinching. And as a result, the commitments will be reviewed and changed, including the and timelines. It's a time for pragmatism, kind of more than more than anything, right? I mean, there's an interesting, not quite a dichotomy, but in the renewable space, there's it, there's there's very few energy sources that have the potential to provide the kind of off-grid solutions that could potentially make the transition easier and underpin entire energy grids but it's 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 more expensive to do so so do you think is there a space where in the extractive sector to be quite specific here is are we missing a trick anywhere when it comes to how impactful renewables can be into the you know african mining and natural resources space are there things that you've seen that you wish were replicated as part of the course, you know, whether it's localized uh, solar solutions or whether it's something as fancy as green hydrogen that I had a con. I think it's green hydrogen. There's so many hydrogens, I didn't even know. Um, but are there things that you're seeing that give you more hope, Warren, in the in the extractive spaces relationship with renewables? Absolutely. So the first thing was the the regulatory changes on the the limits. Oh, for sure. of, of you know what what you could produce yourself i think that was a, a step in the right direction obviously uh, the question is has it gone far enough but the regulatory environment and the changes around that i think was a good starting point and the the mining companies that are are at this stage you know committed to sustainability and are doing okay from a, a commodity point of view are committed to changing to the renewables as you correctly pointed out it is frighteningly expensive and that's the biggest concern at the moment it just is so expensive to to do that conversion so you need to be a very healthy mining company to to go the hydrogen right. route or the the solar route but the mines are committed to it and they're implementing there many of our mining companies have committed to it and have set up the the energy companies or subsidiaries to achieve that so yes we're moving in the right direction the the trick that we've missed possibly is trying to increase, uh, improve the incentives, so the tax incentives and the other financial incentives around that to make it more cost efficient. That that would be, you know, th- for me that would be the, the key focal point. I think the regulatory side we're getting there. It's really about bringing that costing down, including through through more incentives. For sure, and and Warren, that that brings us to time, and I really want to thank you. You've helped me prove that the ESG agenda can still be talked about in a really specific, meaningful, enjoyable, a detailed way. I think the more that people can have these conversations, the better. So it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciated and enjoyed the discussion. And as always, a very big thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, If you are new to the Africa Legal Podcast, you can find us wherever you would expect to find a podcast. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or Spotify, you will find us there. And as always, don't forget to visit us at africalegal.com for all the news, views and insights that improve your life as a modern African legal practitioner. So without further ado, this has been Tom and Warren, and we're signing off for the Africa Legal Podcast.